Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to the official holiday season. I hope you're safe from the WKRP turkey drop. <laughs> we survived. <laughs> We're marked safe. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, kids, look it up. A classic. Yes, welcome. We're back in. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Officially into the holiday movie season this week, we're going to start off with a much-anticipated sequel. Under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, light heavyweight contender Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, son of, who else? Ivan Drago. Creed two. You got people that need you now. You got everything to lose. This guy's got nothing to lose. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. Listen to me, this guy is dangerous. But you don't think I could beat him? I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty. I want to rewrite history. Don't pretend this is about your father. It may not seem like it now, but this is more than just a fight. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty inside my DNA. I must break you. <laughs> the first thing that we noticed about this one uh, when we first heard about it is that uh, Ryan Coogler not involved. No, and so the writer-director of Creed, who yeah. also, of course, is writer-director of Black Panther. Maybe well, you've heard of it. Well, that was the thing. When, when Creed first came out, I think it just surprised everybody at how effectively it rebooted the war horse yeah. that is the Rocky yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah. And for anyone who had not seen Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan together... With Fruitvale Station, which, which was brilliant. Please um, see it. Yes, it's a it's a little indie gem that really requires your viewing. Yeah, uh, you knew what a promising filmmaker uh, Ryan Coogler was, and what a promising actor uh, Michael B. Jordan was. And then, of course, after Black Panther, everybody knew. Everybody yes. knew. Yes. So it it would have been <laughs> nice to get uh, them back together for this one. But Ryan Coogler is out. Michael B. Jordan is back as Adonis Creed. And interestingly enough, one of the co-writers of the script on this one is none other than Sylvester Stallone. Who, I hope you remember, wrote the original Rocky. Exactly. You go all the way back, and he wrote that first one, yep. and it launched his career because they wanted to buy it from him and have somebody else star yeah, in yeah. it, and he held out. And, uh, boy, it was a good move. Yeah. Because, look, that was 1976, <laughs> I believe, and uh, all these years later, mm -hmm. uh, it's still going. So we're back, Creed II. Uh, the focus has shifted, though, interestingly for this movie... Not that much because it's probably because Stallone is a is a co-writer. But this one turned out to be, I think, just as much Rocky's story as Adonis Creed's, and we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, so now Creed is uh, the light heavyweight champion, mm -hmm. and of course he's been champion for all of two minutes when he's challenged very publicly by Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago, who, as you said, as you alluded to in the beginning, I must break you. Dolph Lundgren is back. That's right. So that is just... He's not the only one. No, he's not. Um, that That's just a touch, a toe in the water of <laughs> the daddy issues that this film is washed in. I mean, there's a... There's almost a spit-take moment about halfway through when one of the boxing commentators says, it's all a bit Shakespearean, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it surely is. Because you've got all this, you know... you because, Drama! Right, right. There's so much... It's such a melodramatic movie. But you know what? 
it works. In, in the spirit of the boxers, it fights its way through it with sheer conviction because the son of Drago, Drago the Younger, mm-hmm. he's huge. He's <laughs> huge and strong. One of the trainers calls him a balanced breakfast, which <laughs> I thought a was dude. a good line. That's the a good dude line. is huge. And so Rocky has all these, you know, these conflicted feelings. He doesn't want Creed to take the fight because, of course, his father died. He didn't throw the damn towel. He wouldn't throw the damn towel. <laughs> so he's got all that going on. And then, of course, and now Creed, Adonis, has other things to worry about. He's got Bianca. Tessa Thompson, by the way. Always great. She should be in every movie. She's so, so good. And they have great chemistry. Yeah. Uh, Tessa Thompson and Michael B. Jordan. So... He's got her to consider, and whoop, their brand new positive pregnancy test. More daddy issues to to deal with. So he's got that on his mind. Rocky says, no, he doesn't want to be a part. He don't want the same thing to happen again. So uh, we've got all that going on. But but Adonis has a truckload of pride and unfinished business about his feelings for how his father was killed. So. The director here is uh, Stephen Capel Jr., who, speaking of little little scene indies, how Ryan Coogler started out, he did a film a few years ago called The Land. Yeah, set in Cleveland. Yeah, set in Cleveland, and it was very effective. Gritty, gritty indie drama Mm -hmm. that I think shows a lot of potential. So he gets the, the chance here, and he brings some of that grit to the uh, some of the more intimate scenes, and also does a good job with the fight choreography here. Now we have to say, just like. A lot of these movies, the, the boxing action is ridiculously brutal. Superior to what you would actually get in a boxing match is, it, I think, what you're trying to get at. Exactly. But that's <laughs> understandable because we're not going to go to the big screen. We don't want to see the Pacquiao-Mayweather snooze fest no. again. But this is just brutal boxing action from the get-go. And it's choreographed pretty well. They have daddy so, issues to work out. They sure do. And so they have a, a, a lot of that going on. And then it also... There's just no moment unturned, no stone unturned from this entire franchise. So many callbacks, especially, of course, to Rocky IV. Sure. Uh, which uh, they should actually use some of the footage from Rocky IV, which is the one where Apollo uh, was killed. So that, you know, you've got all that built in uh, cachet, I guess, from the people familiar with the franchise. But even if you're not, even if you just saw Creed mm-hmm. and came in mm-hmm. cold that way, it, it's still effective, and you know Stallone. God love him. You can make all the jokes you want about his face and in the way he talks and his hair, whatever. But he delivers again. Maybe it's this character that it's just him, and uh, he he does another very good performance. He's probably not going to get the award consideration because he just got it last time. But depending on the race for best supporting actor, you never know. He might he might be in there again. He delivers it. And the script has some some solid lines. And the main thing about the movie is as much melodrama as there there is, as much as many daddy issues as there are, it still comes down to the fact that you've got characters that are still worth caring about. It, that, that's just yeah. the thing. And mm-hmm. if you have that, you can get through a lot. And I think this movie does it. That's how it comes out. Ultimately makes it worth seeing because you can get through all of those eye-rolling moments and it just it just goes for it. I mean, yep, this is what we're doing and we're <laughs> pushing every single button. You know we are. And if you really think hard about it, you can probably guess how it ends. But maybe not. Just enjoy it. Yeah. And it's one of those where like, of course, of course this is how it's going to end. <laughs> you know, so uh, if you're familiar with the Rocky franchise from, you know, from the get-go on, on up to now, I think you'll You'll like it even more. And and going back to the Rocky character, I think what's nice about this is it makes it, it, it doesn't feel like 
It's stealing the limelight from Creed, you know, and giving as much um, attention to Rocky's character arc as it does. Because it feels right. It feels right for the character. And also it gets to the point where you can really see that they can move on now without the Rocky character. Sure. I think we've hit a, a place now where it seem, it feels very satisfied. And in fact, they say a line or two that might lead you to believe that's in the plans. And if it is, this is a perfect place to leave mm-hmm. the Rocky character and move on. So uh, you've got a recommendation to to uh, accept the melodrama for, for, what, uh, for what it is and just enjoy Creed II. Next up, the story of a working-class Italian-American bouncer becoming the driver of an African-American classical pianist on a tour of venues through the 1960s American South. This one's called Green Book. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South, there's going to be problems. Come on, get out now. You never win with violence. You only win when you maintain your dignity. You don't know your own people. You, Mr. Big Shot, doing concerts for rich people. So if I'm not black enough, and if I'm not white enough, then tell me, Tony, what am I? Don't you call me? Anyone can sound like Beethoven. But your music... What you do, only you can do that. The Green Book that the title refers to. I did not know this. I didn't either. It is uh, it is an actual publication that uh, used to come out during the Jim Crow era that just helped African Americans figure out how they could safely travel across the United States. Places they could eat, places they could sleep, things like that. And uh, and that is fascinating and horrifying simultaneously. Yeah, I think in reading up on it, it, w- it was mainly the Deep South, but mm-hmm. also it included northern, you know, let's not kid ourselves, it included yeah. some northern territories as well. But mainly, you're right, so they could safely travel through the, through the Deep South, and this is based on a true story. Yes, and it gets the title from some record execs hand a green book to uh, Viggo Mortensen's character because he has taken on the the task of, of being the driver for this classical pianist played by Mahershala Ali. So the record execs give him this book so he knows exactly once they leave the Midwest mm-hmm. where it is that he can drop his charge off, who can, who can you know, what motels he can stay in and things like that. Um, and I want to say... Uh, Two things. Firstly, I did not care for this film as much as the general critical population did. But secondly, the two lead performances are astounding. Yeah, they're so good. Of course, Mahershala Ali just won an Oscar. Very well deserved, by the way. Oh, yes. For Moonlight. Oh, my God, he was so good. And he's got a, he's a guy, he's a career that's been coming on for a while now, and he's finally getting his his just desserts, yeah. you know, his, his due attention. And Viggo Mortensen has been, a, you know, a, a very established talent for many years yeah, now. Yeah, two-time so, Oscar nominee. So you get a chance to put those together, and you've got performances that can make even a a trite, punch-pulling script worthwhile. Right, and I, I don't want to be too hard on it, but and, and one of the things that I find most interesting about this is that the director is Peter Farrelly, of the Farrelly Brothers. Yeah. Of, you know, Kingpin. Right. And Dumb There's and Dumber. something about Mary. Yeah. yeah, Dumb and Dumber. You're used to doing that silly humor and now taking on a very serious subject. There is, I mean, there's a an odd amount of humor in the film, which, it, it, for the most part, I think serves 
particularly Viggo Mortensen's character, pretty well. I mean, it's not the kind of thing where you're like, this shouldn't be funny. But it certainly is not Fairly Brothers kind of funny. It's right. not gross-out body humor or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, they treat the subject very respectfully, perhaps too much so. So here are my issues with the film, that it is yet again a story that is told from the point of view of a handsome white man, as if we can't possibly understand the plight of a person of color when we just hear it from the point of view of the person of color. Right. Um, and and that I find um, difficult. Uh, and, and then also, you know, it, you know, it's very much, I mean, it really is. It's just a twist on Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. But in, in a lot of ways, it still feels that safe and that self-congratulatory. And that's what I didn't care for. I mean, it, it definitely felt as though it pulled a lot of punches mm-hmm. in the, you know, convenient lessons learned on both sides. Wanted wanted to be a very, uh, a film that didn't offend in Oscar season so it could be seen by the widest possible, i.e. white audience that wouldn't feel too bad about it, but at the same time, hopefully get a lot of Oscar buzz. Yes. And and, and again, I, I mean, I can't say enough about the two performances. Honestly, Mahershala Ali, Mahershala Ali in particular, because his character is an outsider uh, among really every population and is so um, achingly lonesome. Mm. And it's a great performance that really digs into that and gives it an edge that is almost masochistic. I mean, which, it, I mean, it's a brilliant and and fascinating performance that he gives. And, and Viggo Mortensen, of course, wonderful as he always is. And the two of them together are a joy, an absolute joy. Yeah. The issue that, and it's an enjoyable film. It's just that it should have been a great film and it's afraid to be that. We should mention that one of the writers was, is actually the son of the actual bouncer driver guy, correct? Yes. So Viggo Mortensen plays Tony Vellalonga, um, who goes by Tony Lip, and his son Nick. <laughs> All the mobsters have those names, know. you know? <laughs> Joe the Mumbler. And it's Tony Lip over there. And so his son, Nick Vellalonga, co-wrote the script. Okay. Uh, based on, you know, his memories of, of his father's uh, stories. Of right. His. So on a superficial level, then, you could see why it is the point of view is coming through yes. Tony. But at the same time, it's worthwhile pointing out that this always happens. Yeah. You know, why can't we flip it? Well, and that, you know, <laughs> that they're just, the the lessons feel too easily learned. Mm-hmm. Um, the camaraderie, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's a nice movie. It's a safe movie, and it probably should not have been. But definitely worth it for the two performances, and probably... Will be in the conversation come award season. I would think I, so. I would think, and that's Green Book. Next up is the latest family release for the holidays. Six years after the events of Wreck It Ralph, Ralph and Vanellope, now friends, discover a Wi Fi router in their arcade, leading them into a new adventure. In Ralph Breaks the Internet. Hey, kid! Wake up! Ralph, what is wrong with you? Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off! Ralph, what is it you're trying to say? We're going to the internet. What? Wow, look at all this stuff. This is the most beautiful miracle I've ever seen. Ralph breaks the internet. Shouldn't it be Ralph wrecks the internet? Yes, since he is Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, yeah, but break the internet, it's like a thing. Right, it's just wreck the internet kind of sounds better, doesn't it? You're not wrong.
Hard to believe Wreck-It Ralph was six years ago. I know it. And that was an enjoyable film. It was. And here's, I think, uh, the, the, the problem with the sequel... I mean, it makes perfect sense, the direction they took it. It makes absolutely perfect sense. But one of the reasons that Wreck-It Ralph was so incredibly enjoyable was because it really played on nostalgia. You know, because they're in an arcade, and they're in an arcade game. And it, you know, and it just, it just, and it did it so well. Played on nostalgia so well. Uh, But there's a difference in nostalgia. You have to wait a while before outdated leads to nostalgia. Right. And this movie, there hasn't been enough time as it goes into the internet. And, and it's impossible to stay current. It's right. impossible. Your film is immediately dated. Dated before it's even released. Yeah. So when they go in there and start playing around things like the Chewbacca mom, it we haven't been removed from that enough to just, it just seems a little stale. Right. Because it certainly isn't current enough to be current. And that's the problem with really the film. it's not old enough to no. be nostalgic. No. So, is that is that they, they drop us online and they it's not possible for them to be current and therefore it just feels dated uh, immediately dated i mean which is not to say there aren't some great things going on it looks right. great the story is fun enough there's a very fun divergent uh, part where vanellope runs into all of the disney princesses right. which is enjoyable yeah that's probably the highlight of the movie and also the the voice work again uh, john yeah. c riley is ralph and sarah silverman is, is princess Vene- vanellope yeah and they are great they together. are great uh, and there's also a lot of other um all-stars you know gal gadot taraji p henson jane lynch alfred molina ed o'neill so there's a lot of uh you know big name yep. Yep. uh voice but talent, voice talent that, that, yeah, that really know how to be voice talent exactly you know? which as we said before is not always just because you're a talent doesn't mean you can be a voice talent right. so uh, that's always appreciated and uh, yeah there are definitely fun moments i think you know it looks fun um you got that disney princess yeah. sequence yeah. which is probably the highlight but it's at the end it's it's probably not going to be one that you remember all that long. Sure. You know, to which which the best of the animated films, really the best of films in general, really do. Just just hang around with yeah. you for a while. And this is just a, a yeah. forgettable yeah. time it's, waster. It's a, it's a nice holiday family outing. Yeah, it's fun. And you get some laughs and, and get some fun out of it, but not not exactly one of the classics. And that is Ralph Breaks the Internet. Next up is the true story of American Senator Gary Hart. His presidential campaign in 1988 derailed when he's caught in a scandalous love affair, the frontrunner. My name is Gary Hart, and I'm running for president. Gary Hart is the man to beat in 88. If we hold ourselves to those highest standards, then the voters cannot do otherwise. Senator, I want to ask you some questions about the woman in your townhouse. Can you tell us how you know her? You can't be serious. No one is staying in my home. There's no need for that. Uh, I, I am serious, sir. We can't hide from this. Gonna run to the cameras go everywhere. We need to say something. It's nobody's business. None of it is. Okay, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about how you get through today. Go on, Gary. Say it. There's going to be a story tomorrow about me. Here's a movie that immediately... Uh, Maybe makes you feel of a certain age when you talk to people about what happened in this, in, you know, the true story behind this, as I did this week. I was talking to somebody, and they said, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. I was four years old. I'm like, okay, you can leave now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because for those who don't remember, um, Senator from Colorado, Gary Hart, he, was, he came out of nowhere in 1984, and he was the runner-up, the strong runner-up to Walter Mondale. Uh, who got the 1984 uh, Democratic nomination only to be slaughtered by Reagan. And then four years later, 
Gary Hart was just the de facto nominee. Sure. I mean, he was going to be the Democratic nominee. He just seemed like a, a natural-born politician, as as this script points out. He his hair alone was worth six points <laughs> for when it's windy. Um, and then he was kind of assumed to probably win the actual election. Who, who knows? But he was definitely going to get the uh, Democratic nomination. And then it got derailed by basically the Donna Rice affair and some other things that started coming out. So it really, this movie focuses on three weeks, just three weeks that derailed everything, that changed everything. Not just in his campaign, no. but in American politics. Yeah, it's never been the same. If you want to trace it back to how the press has become, it's, it's all just tabloid fodder now. This is probably ground zero for that. Um, this this scandal and, and how it transpired and what became of it, because uh, at the time, Gary Hart came up in a time when this movie points out, he was used to the, the, the men that came before him getting a pass from the press on their indiscretions. Yes, let's put it that way. It was kind of an unspoken wink and a nod. And in some cases spoken because the character of Ben Bradley, the very famous Washington Post editor in this movie played by Alfred Molina, he tells a story to some of his uh, reporters that I don't know if it's true because they use it. I'm going to guess it is. He tells a story about being in the room when Lyndon Johnson, after he took over for an assassinated JFK, just told the reporters, like, look, you gave JFK a pass about women. I'm going to expect the same courtesy. And Ben Bradley said, and we gave it to him. And you're like, wow. And one of the reporters says, well, that was a different time. And another one says, yeah, who changed it? And one of the reporters says, the readers did. Right. So that that's the question at the heart of this that, that the movie brings up. And I kind of wish... It would have taken a little more strong stand about its viewpoint. Like, w- what about the morals here, the ethics involved? Is it right for the, the press to, to go after these sorts of things? Can candidates have a private life? But who will hold these powerful men accountable uh, in their treatment of women, you know, if, if we don't cover these things? So there's a lot of ethical and moral questions at work here. And it's, it's all anchored by Hugh Jackman. Starring as Gary Hart, and he's great. Of course he is. He really he's is. He's always great. Yeah, he's fantastic, and he's got a very, very solid ensemble. Vera Farmiga plays his wife. Always great as well. J.K. Simmons plays <gasps> his, his Couldn't be better. first Oscar inv- winner, J.K. Simmons. Exactly. And Ohio State fan. That's right, and you've got a solid ensemble, and the director is Jason Reitman. And he's also a co he's also a, a co-writer mm-hmm. with Matt Bai, who is adapting his own book. This is based on a book called All the Truth is Out. And, you know, they do a good job in bringing up these issues Mm -hmm. and showing you how this came to be. Because you have to remember, we're just, in 1988, we were only 10, 12-odd years or so, less than 15 years, from Watergate. Right. And is that the thing that made the reporters more, you know, more uh, determined to Mm -hmm. go after these stories? Mm -hmm. And, of course, some of the—we're seeing some of the same names. Ben Bradley, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Bob Woodward shows up in this movie. So it's it's all a thread here of how this evolved into a press just doggedly going after this story. And then you've got—people will remember who remember this scandal— Gary Hart just being idiotic yeah. when, when he started getting these questions about his marriage because they had separated before and then gotten back together. And so when he starts getting some questions about the strength of his marriage, he he just 
basically challenges yeah. the press. Put a tail on me. You're, you'll be bored. Right. And he really did that. And they did put a tail on him. And they, they were, were not they bored. They were not bored. They and were not bored. If, if you remember, the name of the yacht was the monkey business. That, I mean, who could make that up? Right. It was called the monkey business where he met Donna Rice. And it just, it just unrailed, unraveled in, um, in three weeks. He had to drop out. And before you could try to say Dukakis without laughing, you know, George H.W. Bush was president. And, right. here, and here we go. So the thing about it, though, it, it, it closes with Hart's, the, the film closes with Hart's uh, concession, well, dropping out speech. And where he says, he kind of paraphrases a famous quote from Thomas Jefferson years ago, where he says, I tremble at the thought of this country electing the leaders we deserve. Right. That's a real big piece of dialogue that leads you right to today. You know, it leads you right up to the foot of today. Okay, what do we think now? Have we done that already? A lot of people would argue that we have, that that day has come and gone. How- we, the, we, we elected a, yes. a, a reality TV star. Exactly. But, you know, so, what's interesting about that, though, is that people no longer care about the, the you know, what... I, I mean, if they did, he wouldn't have been elected. Well, people are no longer chagrined by behavior like that. That's the other thing. You, you get the feeling of how quaint this would all be today. Yeah. This guy was... It, it, oh, I've know, thought that many times. Derailed by yeah. just a, a, you know, a whisper of an affair uh, and a couple of pictures of maybe some other woman. Um, and, yeah, and it, today would be... Oh, wow. On the other hand, it's funny because uh, he makes a point... Uh, the film makes a point. Uh, uh, Gary Hart is talking to... Um, infamous Lothario Warren Beatty is trying to warn him and he was like well that's Hollywood now here's the funny thing about this I don't think that we have any right to know what actors and actresses do in their free time because it has nothing to do with what they do for a living they don't have the power politicians have an effect on let's say the lives of women and if they are the kind of people who use women it's good to know that well that that is a good story because uh, Hugh Jackman is able to That's one of the things he's able to do with his performance uh, show Hart as a as a man with deep political convictions, but mm-hmm. at the same time, he you know he he just he couldn't abide the trappings of fame. He didn't understand why people wanted their picture taken with him, and he didn't understand why why his private life should be public record, should right. be you know up for grabs. And it's like okay, well you when you use your fame when it suits you, right? But yet, but that stay away when I want you to stay away. And you're right, that story that you bring up was at a, at a party. Uh, with uh, with Warren Beatty, and Warren Beatty tries to tell him, you don't you don't get it. The the camera never is turned off, ever when you're in this position. And he just could not or would not accept that. Sure. And that is a real interesting um, window mm-hmm. into the character. And again, that how much we've come. But back to that closing that closing line, the way they used that, the way they let that line about electing the le- the leaders we deserve hang there for importance. You, I just wish that the film would have kind of pounded more of a fist in one direction because yeah. it seemed like with that line it walked right up there mm-hmm. here we are you know and i i do appreciate a film le- leaving you to make certain conclusions sure but this just seemed like you're almost there you want to really take a stand take a point of view and you don't do it mm-hmm. so to me that was a bit disappointing but still well done. A, a really nice directing job by, by uh, Jason Reitman, especially as he's going through some of the uh, political war rooms. Oh, yes. You know, Very the, impressive. The, the dialogue is so rapid fire. It's almost a, a more easily digestible Aaron Sorkin. And then the way you wade through the room yeah, is, you, it's, it's awesome. Uh, some, of the, some of these scenes seem like one takes. The one take. They're probably not. But he just, yeah, he keeps that camera moving through as one 
uh, operative is moving to another one and rebutting the last one's uh, uh, you know, point about what they're going to do next. And it's, it's very impressive, almost head-swimmingly so. In some of these, uh, in some of these scenes, so it's well put together, well acted, for the most part, well written. I, I just wish it would have uh, taken a little bit more of a stand, but uh, I did enjoy the front runner. And next up, one that I don't know. Check your watch; it may have already disappeared, <laughs> disappeared from the uh, multiplexes. It's the latest big screen adaptation of Robin Hood. This is the story of a thief. You wanted to steal. Now's your time. He stole from the rich and gave to the poor. What else you got? I call him Robin Hood. It's got a nice ring to it, don't you think? This is not going to end well. Probably not uh, worthy of spending a lot of time on this movie because it's it's going to sink like a stone. Oh, it is. It's just terrible. And it's, you know, it's the latest in a line of, you know, anachronistic portrayals of, of classic swashbucklers. And so far, none of them have made any money. And I don't know why they keep doing it. Well, I think Sherlock Holmes did. And that's what probably kicked this off. Oh, yeah. Since then. No, right, because King Arthur, which was so bad and nobody thought, this is worse, to be honest with you, because it's it's not even a decent director. Guy Ritchie at least made King Arthur, so there were some interesting Guy Ritchie-isms. This and, one has nothing interesting about it. And we just had a, a, a Russell Crowe did Robin Hood. Was it, How many years ago it was, was that? like That's, six years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah. Now, that wasn't that this kind of um, treatment. No, it was as bad, though, because it this, was just dour. And, and, and This is that uh, hip, cool yeah. music video type of uh, action, oh, yeah. you know, where it's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And, you know... It, they describe Robin of Loxley as a crusades-hardened warrior. Well, it's funny because he comes off like a precocious 12-year-old. And With then a very modern haircut. Right. And then there's <laughs> Maid Marian, who she's she's trying to, like, duck in and out all secretly, like, secret agent lady uh, through this, uh, through this uh, uh, you know, insurrection. But she's wearing the most brightly colored and low-cut garb. I thought, who doesn't notice her. She blends right in. That's crazy. She's played, by the way, uh, by uh, Eve Hewson, yeah, who is the daughter Bono's of Bono daughter, from yeah. U2, but yeah. uh, not... And Jamie Foxx, yeah. an Oscar winner. Yep. Who... He's got to get better films. Come on. Oh, and he's... Uh, he, Someone, and you know please. What? He's, also, he's please stop talented. trying to do accents. Please. No accents. No please. accents. Yeah, it's... The, the fight is on between... Everybody has always made fun for years of Kevin Costner's, Kevin Costner's vanishing accent in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So now the question is, uh, whose is worse? Uh, um, probably still Costner's. But probably still Costner's. But now He's got more lines. But now it's become kind of endearing as you look back. So. And, the, but, and, and speaking of, so in Costner's version, which is not good, you still have Alan Rickman, which is one of the greatest villains. Aww. You know and you know what, which is funny, it's not even his greatest villain performance, but still it's one of the greatest villains. So great. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, who definitely rivals Rickman in terms of talent. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn is an incredible talent who but, needs to stop taking right. scenery-chewing baddie movies. That uh, seems roles. like all he's been lately. And to really look up uh, Animal Kingdom, oh, yeah. look up uh, Slow West. Oh, my. Um, he has, He's so talented, but you're right. He's just They just get him for these, uh, come in here and just chew, chew, chew and be a bad guy. And that's what he is here, yeah. the sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, it's just, I mean, the whole movie is just silly. It's just dumb. It's yeah. just dumb. Top yeah. to bottom, every scene, every, the score is so cribbed. The costumes are like from 21 Forever. It's just, everything about it is just dumb. Yeah, and I think 
obviously they're hoping for a franchise. I don't think they're going to oh, get yeah, it. Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. The way that the movie ends and you just and that's it's almost you just it's sad. You're like, yeah. you know, I I saw it before anybody else saw it, so there was no we didn't know for a fact it was going to be a bomb. And still, even then, I thought, oh, there's no way you're getting a sequel. How sad that last scene well, is. Well, I think this one smells like the, the Tom Cruise mummy. Where it, oh, came, yeah. it came, it landed with all these expectations of what's to come next. And nope, no, we're just going to no rethink way. this whole thing. So uh, let's move on from Robin Hood. One more this week, opening in limited release. The story of an undead teenage girl befriending a blind boy that she meets in a forest she haunts and hunts in. This one's called The Dark. I'm Alex. These woods are cursed, you know. There's this monster that roams around, hungry for human flesh. It used to be, you know, like you and me. Then something bad happened to it. She's the monster. She's gonna rip you to pieces. Mina? Somebody help! Hey, we've said this before. It's very hard to do something fresh with a zombie film. Uh, and and this actually manages to do it. It's also hard to do something that's su- such a YA type of feature and do it well. And this does it well. And it's interesting because it is, in, in a way, it's kind of a revenge fantasy. But what's interesting is that this character, this zombie, played really beautifully by uh, Nadia Alexander. Her vengeance is not, and as as well as everybody else, it, the vengeance and slash healing, they don't come by way of the victimizer. It has to do with dealing with and accepting the faults of the people who are supposed to love you. So everything about it, it rings a little bit true. It's, it's well-worn territory, but they know that. And it's funny because they introduce the whole film with one of those scenes that you've seen a hundred times where a car is spilling gravel, uh, stops at an out-of-the-way gas station, runs inside, and there's some sort of a, you don't want to be here, mister, this is where big city dwellers go to die kind of a situation. The whole thing turns in an instant. And so so they use your preconceived notions to take you on a journey that you didn't expect. The performances are great, not just uh, Nadia Alexander, also Toby Nichols. I'm not going to say it's a tough film, it's just that Tough things have happened to these two characters, mm-hmm. um, and and they just they just the performances are are really really wonderful. So a lot to choose from this holiday weekend for new releases in the theaters. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Leading the new releases on home video this week. Uh, maybe you've heard of this one, Crazy Rich Asians. It made a lot of people crazy rich. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> Loads of people saw this. It yeah. was it was fun. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice change of pace and, uh, you know, an enjoyable thing to watch at home. Next up is a movie called Blind Spotting. This one, it's a, it's a story of a guy on probation who has to reevaluate his relationship with his volatile best friend. And if this is one... I don't want to say it was bad timing, but it came out right on the heels of Sorry to Bother You. Mm -hmm. And it tackles similar themes and sometimes in similar ambitious ways. Not as much as uh, Sorry to Bother You did and just really going outside the box. A little more reined in. Yeah, but still, it's it's a very um, exciting filmmaking debut. The two stars also are the writers, Raphael Casal and... and, uh, David Diggs, and they star as the two friends. And it's a first-time director, uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada. And it, it it's memorable in a lot of ways. Sometimes it has a trouble with tone, moving back and forth between stoner comedy and uh, and serious, you know, serious drama. But I'll tell you what, it comes to a head in a really 
spectacular and memorable finale that you will not soon forget. And uh, it came very close to being just as good as Sorry to Bother You. Uh, not quite, but still much worth, much, uh, very, not quite, but still very well worth checking out if you haven't heard of it or, or didn't get to see it. It's blind spotting. Also out this week on DVD, We the Animals. That is another beautiful film that very, very few people got a chance to see. It follows along a little boy in his sort of childhood. Uh, one of those that, that did really well in the festival circuit, had very limited release. Most people didn't get a chance to see it. Poetic and beautiful, incredible performances. Definitely recommend that one. And one more out this week called Kin. No. <laughs> It's a, it's like a young adult sci-fi mashup. It's really a story about a kid who has very bad choices made for him, and it should have been just a tragedy, but instead it's supposed to be like a, a fun action? No, just don't, no. Yeah, it's one of those where the trailer led you to believe it was a whole different movie. Totally uh, yeah, different. I don't think it ever has any idea what movie it is. <laughs> That's a problem, too. That's a problem, too. So I might want to skip that one. Looking ahead to next week, boy, the one we're looking forward to the most, the return of Lars von Trier. Ooh, that'll be a good oh, time. happy-go-lucky <laughs> Lars. He's back with The House that Jack Built, also a movie called Burning is Out, uh, Possession of Hannah Grace, a new horror movie, so we're intrigued. And Meow Wolf, not Mad Wolf, Meow Wolf, origin story. That has something to do with... Um, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. And so uh, we're gonna, Rachel Willis is going to tell us how okay. that goes. Because we'll, we'll be lost. We'll, we'll definitely be lost. Do not watch it. Sorry, GOT fans. But uh, let us know what you thought about this group of movies, either in theaters or on home video. And uh, we always love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That is M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. And always look us up on our main website where you can find the written reviews of all these movies, other fun stuff, and our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can find it there as well. And by the way, speaking of getting in touch, we want to say thank you so much to uh, Rick and Caroline. Yeah, we got we got a chance to hear from them. They listen all the time, and they said just lovely, lovely things about the podcast. So yeah, thank you. So we thank you very much for that. Until next time, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>